Blog Talk Radio. Conway Rec Center. Um, it is free. 
And what makes our camp a little different is we have guys that play for me and a few guys that played with me that come out and be the coaches. So what we're trying to do is give these kids a vision of success. We want them to be able to see somebody that they've seen on TV or they've seen go play in a, in a stadium and sort of understand that, hey, I'm getting coached by him. He's helping me to get better. I can be that guy at some point. Some of them had opportunity to play professionally. Most of them went professional with something else. But the thing is, success can still be found. You know, too often you hear kids say, I have to make it to the NFL, to the NBA, to the Major League uh, Baseball, because that's the only way that I can get out and, and do better for my family. But that's not true. You can find success without that. Now, again, chase your dreams. We want kids to chase their dreams because there's so much that can be learned while you're chasing your dreams. So chase your dreams. The work ethic that you, that you can develop, the teamwork that you can develop can definitely carry over to your professional careers. So we urge the kids to chase their dreams. But at the same time, let's make sure we're putting ourselves in position where we can still find success. Always um, love having a thought of the day. Our thought of the day is greatness versus success. Now, by definition, success is something that happens because of a consequence, whereas greatness is a state, a condition, or a quality of being great. There are a lot of people that find success. But to me, in order to be great, I have to be consistently good. I have to be consistently successful to get that great tag. Now, there's going to be debates about whether Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback that ever lived or that ever played the game. One thing that you can definitely say is he spent virtually half his career in the Super Bowl. He has more Super Bowl rings than my beloved Pittsburgh Steelers. He has more Super Bowl rings than the New England Patriots. So whether you're a Brady fan or not, he's been in the Super Bowls ten times. There's not anybody else that can say that. And he's won seven of them. So he definitely gets the great tag. Another aspect of greatness is, to me, are you positively affecting others' lives? A lot of people have success. And to me, success is, is defined a lot by what we see on TV, whether it's the fine cars, it's the nice houses, the nice clothes. But for some, they take it another step further, and they want to have a positive effect on other people's lives. And this is the last thing I'm going to say on this before I bring my co-host on, is that you can be successful but not be great. But if you're great, you've had to have success. So the first goal has to be i got to find success. If I ever want to become great, I have to have success first and foremost. I can't be great if I don't have success. But the thing is that a lot of successful people that never get that great tag. So my challenge to you is first find a way to be successful. And then after you have some sustained success, keep working until you get to that greatness tag. Today, I got a good friend of mine, um, Shane Floyd. 
Goldberg to a lot of guys. Shane, how's everything going? What's up, man? Everything's going good here in Conway, South Carolina. Good to be on with you, Everett. Hey, man, I definitely appreciate you joining us today. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me. um, Thank Thank you for what you do with the West Foundation, with the youth around here in Conway. It's a great thing you got going on. Um, it's free and uh, to teach kids about life after, after athletics if um, right. something like that doesn't work out for them. Great. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things about that is, and unfortunately a lot of guys have, have realized this, is sometimes your sport doesn't love you like you love it. Whether that's okay. uh, I get an injury or just something happens, because here's the thing that I, I often tell my guys, uh, I actually tell guys that I'm recruiting, is to make sure that you get your education. Because one day, it's going to be one man's decision whether you ever play this game again. They've done that. It's not a great feeling when, when you get that, hey, the head coach wants to see you bring your playbook. It's not a great feeling. But the thing is, once you have your education, Nobody can ever take that away from you. So you got to make sure you got to make sure you get that education. It's huge. It is huge. First of all, I know you uh, first and foremost as Goldberg. Um, Yeah. Because we got opportunity to uh, uh, train, talk a little trash, uh, early in the mornings with F3. Tell us a little bit about F3 first and foremost. Um, well, first of all, the name Goldberg comes from a stands for uh, fitness, fellowship, and faith. It's a uh, completely free, non-judgmental, no man left behind men's workout group. Um, we get together in Conway, five fifteen in the morning, and uh, we exercise a little bit together for about forty-five minutes. We laugh, we talk about life. And um, when it's all said and done, sometimes you don't even remember the exercise part. You remember the bond you built and the memories and the laugh. And uh, next thing you know, you look back and wonder, why was I ever paying to go to a gym? Or why was I ever – how did I know about this earlier? And, uh, yeah. For, yeah, for me it was uh, one of the things I'd heard about for a long time ever. I had had it talk to me. I had people thought way better for several years. And it's one of the things you can't make a man do something he doesn't want to do. He has to want it himself. You can tell a man to quit smoking or tell a man to quit drinking. He's never going to do it until he wants to. Same with just like your grandma telling you to go to church. It's the same thing. When you know it's time, you're going to go. And um, with me, I looked in the mirror one day and just uh, 100% was disappointed in what I had let myself become. And I said, I'm going to go. I told myself, I'm going to go try out this F3 thing. And probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. I was 36 years old. 36 years old. And uh, what's that? 17 years I've been out of high school. You look around, or 18 years, you look around and you're 37 years old and you got a wife and kids and you wonder, where'd my friends go? And um, you just started your own life and you kind of lose, lose touch. You're doing your own life with your own family, and what I found at F3 were other men like me, like-minded men that were trying to stay healthy, 
um, went through the same issues that I thought I was the only one going through. And uh, just trying to become better men, better fathers, better husbands, and uh, better leaders in the community. I got named Goldberg, just so you know. They named me at your first workout, as you know. After your first workout, you get a nickname. You'll never be called your regular name again. And I got Goldberg. Everybody thinks it's because I like uh, wrestling. <laughs> and that's, well, I did like wrestling as a kid. Um, the Ultimate Warrior was my. I got named Goldberg simply, very simply. Um, my brother in law, the one that had been talking with me about going to F3 for many years, his last name is Goldberg. And uh, I showed up, and he had already made the phone call before I even showed up at the workout because he wasn't going to be able to be there. He lives in Charlotte. And he'd already told the guys he wanted me to be named his last name. So every time they called my name, I'd think of him. <laughs> and that's how I got the name Goldberg. Hey, great name, great name. Which, my name is Wishbone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, know, uh, I went to Citadel and we played in the Wishbone. So so that's kind of where my name came from. But uh, but it, yeah, is, uh, it is a great It is, you know, to me, it was, of course, it's, I'm all about competition. So it's, it's a competition. And of course, Goldberg is trying to find a way to break me. So the only thing that he said, he found that I, I struggled with was pushing them doggone crates on the ground. So it is what it is. But hey, but tell us a little bit about, about yourself and what you're doing now. I, um, I'm a territory manager for a heating and air company um, in Myrtle Beach. I actually um, I sell every everything you can think of heating and air, from the filters to the parts on your air conditioning unit um, to new ductwork, and uh, um, I build relationships with people, become friends with people, and um, I love my job. I love what I do, and uh, I am um, 39 now with a little five-year-old girl. She turned five today. She was a thir- my 30 week. Creamy, three and a half pounds, five a day. My little boy turns three in a couple weeks, and we live right here in Conway, born and raised, my wife and myself, right here in Conway, South Carolina. I love it. Couldn't see myself anywhere else. Nice, nice. Hey, let's talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. Well, again, I, I, I have to eat crow. Because I said beforehand that I thought the Kansas City Chiefs uh, were the Alabama of the NFL because they had so many weapons on offense. Um, but unfortunately, uh, that Tampa Bay defense shut those weapons down. Now, some are going to say that the backup tackles were in the game and, and that had an effect. It probably had an effect. Some are going to say that there were some calls that the referees probably shouldn't have made early, pass interference calls. That probably had an I agree. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is there was a point in the third quarter where the score was 21 to 9. And I remember when they kicked that field goal to make it 21-9, I looked over at my son and I thought of something that Coach Spurrier said. He said, field goals will get you beat. That's right. You've got to think, you're down there close enough to kick a field goal, 
If you score touchdowns, the score is 21-21, and it's a different ball game. But they weren't able to get the end zone, and they had to kick two of those. So, You're exactly right. right. I thought yeah, same thing. I'm sorry, everybody. Yeah, what was your overall take on the game? Um, similar to yours, as far as a, a few calls early in the game, not just where they, I thought, calls that you don't normally, not necessarily bad calls, but calls you don't normally see get called probably in the Super Bowl. Um, I know the Breland interference on Mike Evans, I thought was, um, I thought the call on Breland was a, a little, um, picky tacky. And, uh, sorry, my mom, my mom just showed up out of nowhere with a gift for my daughter. <laughs> um, I thought it was a little ticky tacky, but that was a huge call. Cause not only, I think, if I remember right, that was a third down. If I remember right, and it gave him a first down. I think it might have been one other. It wasn't just a normal pass interference. These were huge pass interferences, if I remember correctly. Um, they were definitely big calls you don't normally see get called in that big of a game, kind of like an NBA game. I don't remember the last time LeBron or Jordan got fouled in the finals. <laughs> um, but with that said, I go back to um, a thing, I, something I talked about. You, you referenced Alabama, and it reminded me a lot of the and you and I will preface this by saying, as Everett knows, I am a Clemson fan. It reminded me a lot of the Clemson Alabama game in 2017, the Watson-Renfro game. Mm-hmm. And all you heard for two weeks was nobody can beat this team. They're mm-hmm. one of the greatest ever. I remember hearing about that Alabama defense for two weeks. They were the greatest college defense ever. I remember hearing about the Chiefs offense for two weeks. Too many weapons. You can't double cover everybody. Well, if you tell a man for two weeks that you're coming after him, and he ain't got nothing for you, and you're going to go to him, and he can't stop you. Well, he's going to get tired of hearing it. And I felt like the Tampa Bay defensive line, in my opinion, watching that game, the defensive line was the difference in the ball game, even with the penalties. The, the Tampa I can't the Barrett kid. What's the Barrett kid's name? He was absolutely dominant during that game, and I really thought he should have won the MVP. Now, so let me ask this question, going back to what you said. So, so what are you saying about Ohio State? Ohio State heard the same thing versus Alabama this year. So, what are you saying about? They have them gumption to go out there and prove them wrong. Well, with Ohio State, they what Clemson did to Alabama, the Watson Renfro game, is what Alabama is what Ohio State did to Clemson this year. They got tired of hearing about Clemson and how Clemson beat them last year. They got tired of hearing about it, and they went there, and they beat the crap out of Clemson. And I feel like they put every single thing they had emotionally into that game, and it showed on the field that they wanted it more. They were faster. Everything about them, they were a play ahead of us every time, defense, offense. And uh, they wanted that game more than Clemson did, and they showed it that night. They destroyed Clemson. Um, They got tired of hearing about it, and I feel like, you could almost feel it in the air the night after that game. You almost felt as if Ohio State thought they'd already won the national title when they beat Clemson. Right. And 
I feel like that definitely affected them playing Alabama. Do I think Alabama was the better team than Ohio State? Of course, but probably not 40 points better. Right. Like, right. like once it starts snowballing, you know, you know, kind of oh, like, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm going to go back to something that you said before I come back to the Super Bowl. Um, that 2017, do you think that Lane Kiffin not being there calling the plays had an effect on, uh, on, on Tua and, and his play call, I mean, his playing ability that day? Because that's when Lane um, Kiffin took another job. And, and saving some no, that, was the year, that was the year after. Jalen Hurts was the quarterback that year in 2017. And um, I remember being at the game. I was actually – Yeah, it was Jalen Hurts. I'm sorry. Yep. But that was the game that Jalen Hurts, you know, he had had uh, Lane Kiffin calling plays all year. All of a sudden, you got a new play caller. Mm-hmm. Then that all affected of a sudden, the game. with the play caller. Um, right. I think offensively, there were when I remember standing in the stands of that game, and and Scarborough broke a touchdown run. It was fourteen nothing with about five minutes left in the first quarter, and I had visions of West Virginia again against my Tigers. <laughs> I did, and um, I remember distinctly an Alabama fan behind telling his wife, "I still remember it." Fourteen nothing. He's standing right behind me. He told his wife, if we score again, baby, we headed to the camper. We're going to park. That's what he said. And I closed my eyes when he said that. And I, I said, God, if there's ever been a time, find a way for us to win this game. Find a way. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, when it got 14 nothing, I was definitely discouraged. But I felt like offensively, that's what you said. Jalen Hurt did enough to win that game. I think the difference in – as far as the offensively, Alabama did enough to win that game. It came down to we had Deshaun Watson and they did. That's what it. That's what it came down to that night. Right. With the uh, it was like the, hey. the wheel moving. I uh, now a lot of people don't know. All right, go ahead. I was gonna say now just talk about that distraction, the Lane Kiffin distraction with Alabama. Let's talk about the distraction. Of of uh, Andy Reid's son with the accident, mm. Um, mm. was that was that enough distraction for the Chiefs to have an effect on their play on the field? Absolutely. And, and to be honest with you, Everett, I haven't really thought about that. I, I did maybe when I first heard about it, what was it two days before the game, um, three days. But as a father, which you are and I am. I can't imagine that your son, as I'm sure he probably raised his son right, just as you have and I am trying to, um, knowing that your son at his age did something so irresponsible with so much responsibility on his plate to go out and do something that irresponsible and not just Mm -hmm. get in a wreck and hurt himself, but to hurt others as well as somebody's little baby boy, five-year-old baby boy, I mean, five years old, hasn't even lived life yet. And I think I read today that he's got brain damage. I'm pretty sure I read that today. Um, and there's no doubt in my mind that as a father, that would that would 100% affect your mentality. 
before anything, even the Super Bowl, whatever. Because um, that's real life. That's not a game. That's real life, bigger than the Super Bowl. Yeah, no doubt about that. No doubt about it. And, you know, you just got to wonder with all these things. I mean, that that's definitely because it was, you know, when I first heard about it, I thought it was his son that um, was in uh, critical condition. I didn't realize that he was coming and he hit a parked car. Um, yeah. Which I, I can only imagine was going through his mind, but really you got to feel for for that family. You know, as a, a single mom, and I mean that's that's tough. Uh, I, I just can't fathom right now just my little one, and, and my little ones are my my youngest is now thirteen. I can't imagine him being in that situation. As far as the one that is hurt. And really, I don't want to think about yeah. him being in a situation. So from a parent perspective, you know, from Andrew Reed's perspective, that's tough. From that mom's perspective, that's that's really tough. So it's, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't imagine that no did happen. No parent ever wants to see their child struggle, whether they got the strep throat or whether they laid up in the hospital seriously injured. And even as Andy, in Andy Reid's shoes, he's got to be right. heartbroken. Even though his son is the reason it happened, his son's irresponsibility, he's still got to be heartbroken knowing that that that, that there was a day when that was his baby boy. Yep. And to, uh, yeah, no doubt that weighed on him during the game. No doubt. Absolutely. I agree. Well, here's the bottom line with the game, though. Which is, you know, they didn't score a touchdown. Somebody cheats. And I didn't realize until I was watching the game that Mahomes had not lost a game by by double digits in his career. That's the first game he lost by double digits in his career. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. I actually listened to an interview with him on the radio this morning, I think it was. And he was he he mentioned that he said that's the worst loss he had since high school I think even in his Texas Tech days the worst right. loss he had ever had since high school and, um, and and with that said I don't necessarily believe it was his fault at all um, he was under oh, I mean it, it reminds me of the Giants the Giants <laughs> Patriots what, the Randy Moss Tom Brady Patriots unbeatable. Mm-hmm. When uh, Michael Strahan and um, Pierce and the Giants, yes, Justin Tuck and Pierce and Strahan, they had heard enough. They had heard enough that night, and that people might forget, but the Giants were a wild card team. They, exactly, and uh, they were, and they went in there and they made Tom Brady look like me and you back there ever, you know, and uh, the the pressure on a quarterback. Makes it can make any quarterback look very pedestrian. I've seen it with Trevor Lawrence. I've seen it with Tua. I've seen it with the best of the best of the best. And, uh, and that's what happened. There's another thing to keep in mind. Before we go to break, we're getting ready to go to break in a second. But let's keep this in mind. Um, Hill dropped the touchdown pass. It hit his helmet. Um, yep. That would have made the score 10 to nothing at a time. Um <laughs> And then there was a, on a, another would have been a first down uh, 
the tight end dropped the pass. So, I mean, there were some things that happened early. Yeah. And then another thing that happened is, you know, it's fourth down and, and they jump off sides. So, I mean, they did some things mm-hmm. to self, self, uh, or destruct themselves, a little self-destruction. But, yeah. but the bottom yeah. line. But, hey, well, let's take a little short break and we'll be back in a few minutes. Hold on.
Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We're back, and we have our first guest with us, Miss Alyssa Rice. Alyssa, how's everything going? Everything's going well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. If I was doing any better, somebody would have to slap. But, uh, <laughs> we're just talking a little bit. You just recently started with the NCAA, but if you could, tell us a little bit about your journey from college yeah. to your current position. Yeah, so I did my undergrad at the university where I was a women's basketball student athlete, and that was back from 2014 to 2018. Uh, while I was there, I was an accounting major and um, also minored in psychology and communication, so a little bit all over the place, but, you know, we got the job done. Um, and then after I was finished playing, um, I pretty, knew pretty on after my senior year my body was beat up, so um, I didn't think playing overseas was the best option for me. Um, so I decided to go straight into grad school um, and decided to go to grad school um, at Ohio University, um, where I'm originally from. Um, I'm originally from Reynoldsburg, Ohio, which is right outside of Columbus. So um, Ohio University was about hour 15 away from home, which so it was nice being back, um, having gone to Kentucky um, in the life of a student athlete. You're not always able to get back home as frequently as you may like. So it was nice being a little closer to home and um, being a traditional student, if you want to call it that. Um, but there I got my MBA and then a master's in sports administration as well. And uh, while I was there, I, my first year I was a GA for the um, College of Business. That I was a diversity and inclusion intern, or GA. And then my second year I was a compliance coordinator for the um, athletics department. And then uh, following my time in um, – in grad school, um, this, in December of 2019, I accepted um, the internship for the NCAA postgraduate internship position, um, which started in June of 2020, um, and so been here ever since. Um, and then most recently, I was promoted. Um, I was working with women's basketball. I was the intern uh, working with the women's basketball championship. So as a former player, that was super exciting to have the opportunity to plan um, for the final four um, but then I was offered a position full-time as a coordinator um, and now work with D2 football, D2 softball, um, National Collegiate Men's Gymnastics and then National Collegiate Women's Ice Hockey as well. So that's where I am now. Well, first of all, um, I spent time on Court Street. Okay, great place. <laughs> I, uh, I coached at University of Ohio from 2001 to 2005. Okay. So, actually, my daughter was born right there in Athens, Ohio. Oh wow! So we, I have some, I have some connections to to old Athens, and some of those same people are still running around there. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I would imagine, because you know they say uh, we're, uh, that there used to be a crazy house there. Mm-hmm. And when it went down, they lost funding for it. They just let the people go. That's what they yeah. said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not, but that's what they say. <laughs> Actually, it used to live right by that place, too. <laughs> My apartment was located here. <laughs> Wow! Hey, that, that was a 
like I said, some good times we had in Ohio. And like I said, my daughter was born there. Now, here's the crazy thing. I have not been back since we left. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much it's changed. I imagine it hasn't changed a whole lot. Uh, but we yeah, have not been probably back. not. <laughs> yeah, this, Athens is one of those places that I don't think changes much. It's almost like a time tap still going back there. So. Uh, was the Court Street Diner still there? It is. It, well, actually, it was transformed. They changed it uh, recently. Um, they changed it while I was there. I forget what it's called now, but it's the, the building's still there, but I think it's a, just under a different name. They have some great milkshakes. That, I mm-hmm. mean, they have some great But that's not yep. how you. Um, <laughs> how was your transition? Because um, one of the things that, that we do, what, that we try to concentrate on here at, at the West Foundation is just, you know, talk about kids about having the opportunity to be successful without being a professional athlete. And and mm-hmm. that transition from where their sport ends to finding some type of success. How was your transition from being a player um, into the intern role and into that full-time role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my it, my preparation started very early on. Um, I think just even from the recruiting process, um, my parents were very intentional in, like, making sure it was my decision but also providing their parental guidance. And I think one of the best pieces of advice that they gave me was if basketball was taken out of the equation, could you still see yourself at that institution? And I felt like I got that with the University of Kentucky and um, I always saw myself as just more than an athlete, and I knew I loved basketball, and it was a great avenue, but I also knew it was a tool to be able to get me to greater heights, uh, whether that be professionally or just, um, you know, you never know where basketball is able to take you. So I always thought beyond just playing professionally. Um, if the opportunity presented itself, then I always thought that would be a great thing. Um, but also knowing that basketball isn't forever, I always wanted to see – um, how I could set myself up best to be successful in the long run. Um, so I really took my uh, academic seriously. Um, I graduated like with a 3.9 from the University of Kentucky. And then, of course, I moved on to grad school because, once again, I felt like that could help me set me apart um, as I move into my professional career and then also be able to gain some of that experience um, that, you know, you're not – you're not able to necessarily have all the internships and, um, you know, study abroad experiences that you could as a traditional student, as a full-time student athlete. So I feel like I got a lot of those experiences in grad school, being able to get that hands-on learning experience and, you know, work in a compliance office. And, of course, I've lived it as a student athlete side, but just being able to see things from an administrative side was really cool for me and um, really helped me um, develop professionally. Um, so that was really cool. And then um, coming here from the to the NCAA um, was just another great opportunity. Um, the postgraduate internship program is a really pristine program and is seen as, like, highly valuable. Um, so I was just excited about all the experiences I was able to gain here, um, just the people that I would be able to work with. And, again, seeing it from the highest level, um, basically, I've seen it at the institutional level, um, was able to do a little bit of conference work uh, while I was at um, the University of Kentucky as well. And then now being able to see at the national level um, just the progression of being able to see athletics from 
at all standpoints has been really cool um, and has helped me develop professionally as well. Um, so I just feel like I've, it's just that mindset I've always had, and I um, didn't only just want to be the best on the court but off the court as well. Um, so, And I feel like a lot of athletes naturally have that competitive mentality, and I think that's something that can help us um, progress and has helped me in my career um, just maintaining that competitive nature and wanting to be the best at whatever it is I do. Here's one of the things as a coach, one of the things that I used to try to make sure my guys understood that, you know, being detail-oriented isn't like a switch that you can just turn on and off, even if you mm-hmm. are or you aren't. You're going to be the best that you can be on the field. That same detail that you put towards mm-hmm. that should be put towards um, Again, some get it, some don't, um, mm-hmm. especially right Eventually, but that is definitely something that uh, I believe chasing that dream uh, of just being the best that you could be on the court would definitely flow over to, uh, as you said, over to your professional life. Now, absolutely, COVID. COVID is, this is this has been a unprecedented year, different. Uh, and as you're saying, you started in June of 2020, so since you've been there, we've been in the pandemic. Right. Um, from a perspective, how is COVID? really affected athletics in general? Um, It's been a huge impact um, with not the cancellation of March Madness. Um, Of course, a lot of that funding um, goes down to the institution. So to not have that event, um, it hurt a lot of institutions and it hurt the NCAA. Um, So just overcoming that deficit, um, places had to, you know, go on hiring freezes. um, Places had to let people go and, um, even the NCAA headquarters, we had to let some longtime staff, you know, go. But um, so people just overcoming that um, adversity was in and of itself um, something that was difficult. Um, and then, of course, it's still we're still in it. And for me, I work in championships and operations, so I deal with it on a daily basis. So trying to put on events that are made for, you know, maximum capacity, typical years, um, but trying to find a way to create that same atmosphere or just like an experience that student athletes are so appreciative of um, and something that's special for them because this has been an unprecedented time for them especially. And I couldn't imagine being a student athlete during this time. I tell all my friends that, you know, I still have some people that I'm close with that are playing, but just going, knowing what they're going through on a daily basis on their campuses just for trying to play um, is something that, you know, I tip my hat off to them because it's crazy, all the things that they're having to go through to have a season. And so just being on the championship side, um, you, we, me, myself and the people I work with are just constantly have that top of mind and trying to make this the best experience for them, but also maintain a safe environment. So COVID is something that we talk about on a daily basis. Um, I feel like I should be a COVID expert by now with all the testing protocols that we have to talk about on a daily basis. And, oh, we have our health professionals calling in to tell us what the latest update is. Um, so I'll be happy when the pandemic is over for sure. Um, but we're just right now, we're just trying to make the best out of a rough situation. Right. So now you said your um, football is in the fall. Well, actually, we're gonna, let's talk football for a second. There's some Division two teams that are having a spring season. Um, mm-hmm. 
Is it the championship, NCAA wise, championship for Division Two football? There is not going to be a championship this year uh, with D two football because of lack of participation across the division. So that decision was made um, back in the fall, I believe, or early winter, um, that there wasn't going to be a D two championship for this year. Um, but we have began. We actually in our uh, committee annual meetings this today um, and during this week. So. Um, where we have talks of next year and excited to get those uh, conversations going and um, hopefully provide that experience to those student athletes next year. Now, softball, which is getting ready to come up, um, are they going to have mm-hmm. a championship? Yes, those are, the spring championships are still slated to um, continue as normal, um, and we're having um, we're also conducting our winter championships as well. So, yep, softball still slated to uh, go. There actually be a the championship will be in Denver this year for D two softball. Now that's D two. Let's, let's I'm gonna go back to football for a second because one double mm-hmm. is playing a full conference schedule. Most of them. Is there gonna be a one double A or I say one double A SCS championship or is it uh, just gonna be the conference at the conference level? Um, that I am not as familiar with. Um, so I don't think I'm not sure actually if there's going to be an FCS at the moment. Just because I, I don't work true. with that sport on a day to day basis, so I don't want to give you the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I do know, like in the Southern Conference, they're playing a full conference schedule. They've got eight games, and and they're mm-hmm. planning on having it. Um, so I'm not sure if, if there is going to be one or not. Um, now, I'm going to go back to your playing days and compare it to now, which, as you said, mm-hmm. is, is hard. In basketball, I know in football there's, there's an effect with the crowd. Basketball-wise, mm-hmm. how much of an effect did the crowd have uh, for you as a player? Oh, it definitely had an effect. Um you know, that's where you get really – I feel teams get their momentum from. If you go on a big run, of course, the crowd gets involved, and you feed off that energy. So that was one of my biggest things um, coming in. And, you know, you hear the no fans allowed and stuff. I was like, that seems, like, terrible. Like, what you would you want to even want to play in that environment? But, you know, it just comes down to playing the game you love and, you know, trying to get the most out of the season. Um, but, yeah, you def- as a player, like, that was – when you have a packed house, like, there's no other feeling like it. And, you know, when you're tired, it just makes it all go away because you have, you're feeding off that energy and that adrenaline from the from the fans that are in attendance. So, um, you know, not having that or having it to a very minimum capacity, um, I know it's probably difficult for the student-athletes that are playing right now. And, you know, I feel for that. So you can pump in some, like, artificial noises or whatever it may be, but, it's you know, it's just not the same as playing in a packed arena um, against, you know, a good opponent. So it's definitely it's yeah. definitely tough to have that missing component. Yeah, I agree. I can only imagine because it's, you know, you get, get a, a nice play and it's kind of like fake noise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Kind of like uh, I imagine you all did it as well. When you have big games, you know we're going to a loud stadium at practice. You have the fake noise to try to get mm-hmm. used to hearing the fake. Noise. Absolutely. Game, you got 
the whole time. So it's uh, I know it's tough. I know it's tough. Um, the going back to uh, we know the spring season is going to happen um, like it's supposed to, but Division Two football. There are some that are going to play in the spring. Are they still mm-hmm. planning on having a fall or and then have a yes, fall championship? Yeah. Yes, so their plan is to still have a fall championship um, in 2021. Um, So once the new uh, school year starts, um, where hopefully the pandemic will be, you know, with the vaccine coming out and all that type of stuff, we'll feel like we'll be in a better place hopefully by that time. So we're planning as usual um, for a 2021-22 season. Okay. Now you said division. You said football, softball. What was the other sports you had again? Women's ice hockey and men's gymnastics. I didn't even realize that there was a ice, a women's ice hockey. Mhm. Yep. So it's been that's one thing that I've been uh, my eyes have opened up to because you know I was originally with the women's basketball staff, so you know I grew up playing basketball and I knew it well. Um, but now I'm with these sports that, you know, I've, of course, heard of but may not have watched in a sense. So not just learning how to put on a championship for these sports, but, you know, in some regard, learning the sport altogether and the technicalities of it, just so I have an idea of what's going on has been a part of it. Um, so I'm super excited to, you know, see sports and get experienced sports that I may not have been as familiar with. Um, and, you know, just seeing how people, um, student-athletes across different sports um, show their love for the sport and, you know, are competing at the highest level at these national championships. Right. The uh, so football, softball, women's ice hockey, and men's gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Um, women's ice hockey, I imagine, is a winter sport? Yes. So women's ice hockey, their championship is actually a little over a month away now, um, and that will be in Erie, Pennsylvania, and then um, men's gymnastics is the other one I work on, and that one is a winter sport as well. And that one, the championships in mid-April. Um, so that will have that one. Of course, softball is later in the spring. So um, those are the ones I'll be work. I've been working on. Um, the just speaking of COVID and everything, I imagine you're not going to have a lot of people that are going to be able to mm-hmm. attend these championships. Correct. Um, yeah, for, we're still working through uh, with it depends on local health officials guidance. Um, you know, every state, um, even every county has their own um, regulations when it comes to COVID and capacities and everything like that. Um, so we're still working through that. Um, we're, if possible, we would at least at minimum like to have the student athletes have their families there um, to support them in this moment. Um, but like I said, we're just trying to follow health guidelines and work with local health officials to um, put on the best event possible while keeping everyone safe, of course. The um, vaccine, they're saying hopefully most of the country will, will have access to it by the beginning of August. Um, mm-hmm. Are they putting you all in the NCAA in one of those upper tiers to, to go and get the vaccine or – you sort of like uh, everybody else just kind of waiting to see? Um, we, nothing has been brought to us um, specifically yet. 
Um, I know some of the my coworkers have took it upon themselves to get signed up to get the vaccine on their own. Um, but yeah, nothing across the NCAA has been um, sent out to us uh, about getting the vaccine or anything like that. I know a lot of the educators. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if you are considered an educator, um, but college professors and teachers there. Um, or a little above everybody else as far as getting that right. opportunity. So I would, because you all are um, athletes all the time. So I would imagine mm-hmm. because you all are athletes all the time that you would put be put in that educator role um, from that aspect. Um, and of course, we don't have a clue where when that is going to happen as far as to the point where we can kind of get back to some form of normality. But I'm sure everybody yeah. is waiting for the opportunity. Now, last question before we let you go. Um, okay. There's a lot of young people um, that we that we have opportunity to service that have aspirations mm-hmm. playing collegially, and some, of course, would love to play professionally. What mm-hmm. advice? Yeah, um, I think just something my parents taught me growing up and uh, mentality they've always had is if you're going to do it, do it to the best of your ability, and the rest will take care of itself. Um, so don't just go out there and do the bare minimum um, because everything you put out, every uh, job you do, um, it's a reflection upon your work ethic and who you are as a person. So you want to put the best out there so people um, – get a good idea of who you are and what you're about. So um, if you're going to do something, just do it to the best of your ability because there's no reason to do it um, if you're only giving half of what you actually are capable of. So um, I think that's something that I've lived by and um, it's gotten me this far in life. So I think my parents haven't led me too far astray with that advice. And um, also another piece of advice I would just say is just don't um, play the comparison game because I feel like everyone has their own journey and has their own path and, um, it can be easy to fall into the trap of looking at what the next person is doing um, and thinking that you're less than or you're not doing as well off as them. But um, I'm a firm believer in everyone has their own path. And if you um, show what you're capable of and you bring your best every day, then the rest will work itself out. So don't lose your joy by playing that comparison game. That's true. And, you know, the other aspect of that comparison game is sometimes I feel like I'm better than that dude over there, so I'm not going to work as hard. Mm-hmm. So I can go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even though sometimes we all compare ourselves a little bit, but that's, if you get caught up in it, it can definitely come back and bite you, no doubt about it. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Melissa, we definitely thank you for joining us. And uh, Thank you for having me. So as we get more open back up and get through some of these championships, we definitely would love for you to get you back out so we can talk about how your career is going. Uh, so sometime we'd definitely love to get you back on again. Sounds right. good. You have a good one. Thanks. You have a great night. All right. Thank you. Hey, we're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be back in a few minutes.
Hey, how you doing? This is Everett Sands of the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. You know, those mixes by DJ Turk. Now, I got to give a shout-out to him. Man. He's, he definitely is, is the DJ mastermind. But, hey, but we got our second guest of the night. We got a young man that I had an opportunity to coach back at my alma mater, the Citadel, Mr. Kevin Howard. Kevin, how's everything going? Hey, hey, super good and, and getting better. Hey, man, that's a good thing, man. That's a good thing. But definitely, we, we we're happy to have you on today, and uh, looking to hear a lot of a little bit about what you're doing, man. Because uh, of course, we always talk about success, and uh, you've had your share of it. But tell us a little bit about your journey, from your playing days to what you're doing now. Yeah, well, you know, uh, first, you know, thank you, Coach, uh, for you know extending the invitation and just you know thinking about me and. Uh, you know, allow me the uh, opportunity to to come on and uh, talk to you and, and your listeners here. It's uh, you know definitely an honor, and I want to uh, thank you for that. The um, you know, the, yeah, the uh, you know the journey at the Citadel uh, started in in nineteen ninety eight for me, um, and you know I had. Uh, you know, a couple. I had a lot of good guys. Um, one of which, yeah, you 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 know, uh, Maurice Drayton, who's uh, coaching with the uh, Green Bay Packers. He he was my host as a as a recruit coming in, and you know, one of the things was kind of going around and being recruited at that time, uh, being just a seventeen year old kid and. Making a decision like that that was going to be, you know, uh, one of those determining decisions that's going to be impactful on your life was um, the Citadel and the camaraderie that that it had at the Citadel was was like nothing else on any of my other recruiting uh, visits and um, and and and. And that meant a lot. So, you know, I, I selected the Citadel. Um, we had a good class. Uh, it was it was tough because, you know, you have uh, that military environment to deal with at the Citadel in addition to uh, trying to be the best athlete that you could possibly be. And so, you know, I had the uh, you know, opportunity to play the strong safety at the Citadel. Uh, under Coach Jones, uh, you know, my position coach. And, you know, a lot of the things that I've learned at the Citadel as a cadet and more, more so as a football player, uh, I've carried on with me. Uh, just just today I posted something, Pride 14. You know, we used to go out on the field and smack the board, Pride 14. You know, having pride and having that poise and then having that strength of that team, um, you know, really makes a difference, not only back then, but 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 even now. The, um, you know, after graduating from the Citadel, I went on to uh, public accounting, and I was 
you know, first in my class uh, graduating in 02, first in my class to become a CPA. So I was in public accounting um, for from 2002 to 2006. And in 2006, I had a client. Um, well, actually, he was a previous client. So he had he had kind of left, but I, I got a phone call from an institution um, that that needed some help. They were looking for a controller, uh, the CBO, chief business officer that was there at the time. Uh, he was getting ready to to leave and go to another institution, and one of his commitments to to the then president. Uh, was to you know find a team that was going to help the new president uh, do what he needed to do, and so uh, he had recruited a, a seasoned CBO by the name of Art Henderson. Uh, Art Henderson uh, really ended up being uh, a really valuable professional mentor to me. Really took me under his wing. Really showed me the ropes as it relates to higher education, politics, you know, the funding, uh, how to get things done, like limited resource budgets, and, you know, the controller, which I was just going to, it was the gentleman, my first two years, he used to tell me every day, his name was George Cowboy Washington. He would come into my office every day and let me know I was the youngest controller in the nation. And so at 25 years old, you know, I was hired to be the uh, controller of the comprehensive university and historically black college universities, which is Fort Valley State University. It's in central Georgia, uh, Fort Valley, Georgia. It was also an 1890 land grant. And you know, we 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 came in um, at um, you know at a time when when the institution was facing some challenges, um, and it was the you know my first experience outside of public accounting, where you know I was an auditor, I was audit from. Um, Richmond, Virginia, down to Fort Myers, Florida, and doing various audit engagements to, to you know, first time working on the inside, okay? And so, you know, it was a big change for me to have to flip from going from auditing the organization to, you know, being on the inside, the day-to-day activities, the reconciliations, reconciliation things that I'm and, and 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 you know one of the things that I would say was what Coach Jones used to say, you know, do what needs to be done, how it needs to be done, do the best it can be done, and do it that way all the time. I used to tell my people that they used to motivate them, and that was one of the things Coach Jones used to tell us all the time. You know, and and that was that was a valuable lesson. Uh, you know, just doing those things and staying focused. And so we were able to, you know, the institution was about the Ruby accreditation. Uh, we were able to restore uh, full accreditation, eliminate all material weaknesses and deficiencies, 
Uh, and was in the Atlanta area for a little while, worked on some of the larger engagements there out of the uh, College Park office. Uh, and then uh, spent about 18 months or so at Payne College uh, to help them with their accreditation. And so we were able to uh, restore Payne College's accreditation uh, at the same time. And so one of the things I recall when I was at Wilberforce was Dr. Freeman would say, you know, she's the only HBCU president to turn around two institutions. I mean, she would say that. She came out of retirement. You know, she said, I come out of retirement. And so if she did two, then there's not too many that could say they've done three. You know, I've, I've, I've had the, the opportunity um, to assist the turnaround of three HBCUs that were on the verge of losing their accreditation. And, you know, for, for many of the HBCUs, if not all of them, um, you know, losing that accreditation is like a death sentence. Why? Because you lose your access to Title IV funds, and a lot of the students that come into the school come from a background where, uh, you know, they need those Pell and SCLG monies, those, uh, mm-hmm. some of those Title IV funds um, to meet and bridge those gaps. And so if you do not have your accreditation, then you are not able to participate in the Title IV program with the Department of Education, so your students will not have access to those program funds, and they'll have to pay out of pocket, and not many of them can pay out of pocket. So at at those schools that I was at, you know, less than 5% of the students could say, hey, yeah, I could come and pay out of pocket. So once that accreditation goes, generally you'll see... um, you know, decreasing enrollments like Morris Brown, for example. Um, they're starting to bounce back. You know, they did. I saw their homecoming, and you know, I've talked with the president a couple of years ago. You know, he's got some good, um, some good ideas. He's just he's looking for a lot of volunteers, and you know, the alumni going they the, and and they appear to have done that with this last virtual homecoming I saw they they did a good fundraise but you know we need to support our HBCUs um, because these were the economic engines as a part of the historical you know African American progress in society you know when you look at even engineers they over 80% of the current engineers in America graduated from an HBCU at the African American So, you know, and at the Citadel, the Citadel is a place, you know, you either get it or you don't. Right. There's not going to be a whole lot of handholds in that Citadel. Um, and so you do have, at the same time, you know, those professors that, you know, you have that, you have an environment that I think is a little bit more conducive to student success, student engagement uh, within that ACC environment uh, than would. At some of the other institutions, uh, so they're they're important. They're important to maintain, and it's also important that that we, that we manage them 
um, but, you know, the ethics and management, um, you know, all all of those things and principles, you know, really started out at the Civic. Right, right. So you are becoming the HBCU whisperer. <laughs> hey, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I've, uh, yeah, I, I know a thing or two about HBCUs. I mean, I've, I've you know, I've, you know, definitely have been considered an expert uh, within that environment. I mean, you know, I've got calls. Mm-hmm. When I was here, when I was, when I was in the auditing, you know, public accounting, you know, that was mm-hmm. part of my niche as well. You know, was developing the education practice. I was going around with one of the partners. Uh, to, to really help him build and establish uh, within the firm at that time the education practice. I mean, we only had about three or five, three or five institutions, and you know, we went around the country, well, not all the southeast, um, and then we did some trade shows and what have you, and presentations. And we got up to about thirty institutions before I got out and went to, uh, you know, Fort Collins. So. You know, it started within the auditing world. You know, when I was an auditor and having an audit, uh, then, you know, I went on to the other side because instead of auditing, I'm helping getting ready for the audits, you know. Yeah. So, well, what are you doing now? Are you still helping HBCUs or have you done, you doing something else? What are you doing now? Well, right now, um, I mean, you saw the well, you, you put on that chair for CyberCore, and you know, CyberCore is a, a Georgia-based company uh, that are founded in a chair. Uh, we plan to offer real-time agriculture data for farmers, resource managers, first responders, and other interested groups. Uh, with the help of a patented NASA technology um, that we have licensed, uh, that's a compact thermal imager. The the technology was developed at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland, and it was um, a technology that's that's small enough to fit in the cube satellite. Uh, which is a, a, a nano satellite. I mean, it's, it's about less than a yard. Uh, but what what happened was you had uh, the I went. This was 2000. What's it? 2018. The end of 2018. I went and visited NASA Goddard for the third and last industry day that they had that year. And so when I was there, you know, I had the opportunity to to network with some of the NASA administrators. And I I ran into a guy that they called Seppi, and his name was Frank Cephaloni. Frank Cephaloni was responsible for developing what is now known as the Hubble Telescope. 
Are you familiar with the Hubble telescope? I am. So he is person that developed the Hubble telescope. I'm sitting here standing to the guy. I'm, I mean, I'm sitting here like I was talking to a star. You know, this is the guy that did the Hubble telescope. You know, I hear about these things. And so I was telling him what I wanted to do, uh, which was, you know, precision agriculture, you know, because I come from these land-grant schools, and so I just pick up the agricultural piece um, and, you know, had the desire to, to, to do the agriculture. And so from a project standpoint, you know, I had in 2015 I authored on and I published a Guidelines for Cooperative Development STEM program, which is the foundation for what is now CyberCore, um, but it's project-based, and so, you know, CyberCore has got kind of three broad components, the research, the education, and the commercialization piece. And so we had worked with about 10 to 12 higher education institutions to kind of to develop the research and education component, and then the commercialization piece kind of comes into, you know, this technology. And so, you know, at the industry day, um, and just kind of sharing, you know, what, you know, the ideation of, you know, the precision agriculture and looking at a technology that could do remote sensing, uh, with remote sensing being like right now, and, you know, if you kind of stay tuned into what uh, SpaceX is doing, you know, they're launching, SpaceX just got approved to launch like this 1500 uh, satellite constellation and they're getting ready to try to do like a global internet, right? Well, they're flying these satellites in, in what's called low Earth orbit and they're basically these satellites I'm talking about. And so they got different technology. Well, the technology that I'm interested in was the technology that could be remote sensing and specifically related to agriculture. So as I was talking to Frank Tuffman, he's like, yeah, well, hey, I thought we got this new thing, and, da, da, and, and so that's how I stumbled upon this compact thermal imager that um, is now patented, is patented uh, in 2019, and then I got the commercial patent at the end of last year, like it came in in November. So, so NASA's got a patent. But I have a patent to to lock it down, and what what we what we hope to what we hope to gain is the ability to provide high resolution information about crop health and soil conditions by measuring surface temperature uh, from low Earth orbit. And being able to send that information down to farmers, uh, like I said, even resource managers. And then it even came into first responders because the technology is so sensitive that you can get into other things within the agriculture from a predictive analytics uh, in terms of um, actually predicting forest fires. Okay. So that was one of the things from a research perspective. and working with NASA and some of their scientists uh, that we also talked about as other use cases uh, with an instrument that's as versatile as 
this compact thermal amateur, which up until now has only been used uh, within the NASA research environment. So, you know, we we, oh, hold we believe. Hold on for a second. Yeah. You're saying that this can predict a forest fire? Yes, I'm saying that it has the capability to do that because it, it can get down. It can get down to um, it. It can from low Earth orbit. It provides precise spatial resolution of around 262 feet, or about 80 80 meters per pixel, uh, which is uh, very, very detailed because some of the older instruments that's on, like the Landsat right now, uh, just to give you an idea, they're doing detailed resolution of 3,280 feet, okay, which is mm-hmm. one kilometer per pixel. So it's able to get down in terms of the pixelation into the very fine grain from low earth orbit and it can measure the temperature of the soil and so you can start to do some predictive analytics as you train the machine you know based on prior you know the NASA's got a lot of data okay I mean I'm just just go out to NASA.gov and this way get a minute but they've got a lot of data and so Going back through that data that's already available that they've already been using, you know, we get these weather reports every day. Well, they the satellites that they they have up there, and they have all this data. So, so yeah, in terms of using that data that's already available, um, it, it, and I say it's already available, but yeah, it's already yeah. available. <laughs> Can be used to predict the forest fire. Yes, sir. Wow. Which, of course, we we have forest fires that I say we over on the uh, west coast, over in California, and, and all of that all the time. So I would imagine they can predict that. They can save thousands and thousands of acres that burns every year. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's where you get into your first responders. So if it has the ability to measure surface temperature, plants need sufficient water to complete that photosynthesis and surface temperature provides the key data point in determining how much immigration is needed to prevent the crop death. You see, so when you start to get into those drought periods and those dry periods, that's when those things start to just develop. So, you know, I mentioned, you know, the, you know our core components are the research, education, commercialization. Um, and so, you know, we felt like the space camera uh, subscription can can span all three of these objectives. Uh, and also at the ISS R&D conference, not last year, 2020, but in 2019, you know, I was given the opportunity to present my abstract on this with NASA Houston at the International Space Station uh, R&D conference. 
And mm-hmm. but you know when we talk about research and education, you know fundamentally there's there's a desire to increase representation in the space industry. Okay. And so that's what that's what this you know hopefully will be able to do is attract, you know, students and others that are interested in this and may want to be a part of the project. So on October second through the fourth of last year, uh we participated in and led the uh, national NASA, the NASA International Space Apps Challenge, uh, and so we had about 20 participants, uh, and we had a team that actually placed it's about 80 countries involved, and we had a team. One of our teams uh, got the, the People's Choice Award. Mm-hmm. So we thought, you know, that was good. Hey, this is this is incredible what you're doing, and it's definitely going to be able to change lives. But we got to, unfortunately, if, if we have a great conversation, time comes to a, comes to an end. Hurry, so we're going to have to get you back on again so we can hear more about this because I know you have an app that's coming out as well, so we want to hear about that. But before we go, um, if you could just give me one piece of advice for a young student athlete that has aspirations to play at the collegiate level? Um, three, three things. Smart work, hard work, have a lot of fun, and doing it in that order. You know, so your smart work, you know, that's, that's the classroom. You know, hard work is going to be that training and that discipline, you know, a thousand jump ropes, thousand sit-ups, thousand push-ups. I mean, just working diligently to be your better self, to be your best self. Okay, every day you're getting better. You're just getting better every day. The question is, am I better today than I was yesterday? If the answer to that is yes, great, move on. And then have fun. You know, you gotta have some fun. You got your teammates, you know, you got your family, you got your friends. It's important to 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 spend time developing, you know, those relationships that will also be impactful and will also allow for, you know, other forms of growth and development. And human interactions today, I think, are very important as we get more and more technology, more virtual. You know, we got to have those human interactions. So smart work, hard work, have a lot of fun. And the application is on the uh, App Store, Turpin Hill. So that's, that's our first release. So we'll, you know, asking for beta testers, Turpin Hill App Store, um, and should also be on Google Play. Uh, should be in the App Store now. Uh, I haven't gotten a notification on Google Play. I wasn't expecting it to be in the App Store until the end of the week, uh, but they were able to push it through, and it's available today. So feel free to go out there and download it. 
What is the name of the app again? Turpin Hill. Two words. T T U R P I N Hill. H I L L. Good. Good. Hey, make sure we're on the lookout for that, man. But I definitely appreciate it. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be back in a few. All right. Everybody doing? This is Everett from West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We're back. We just got finished talking from uh, or hearing from Mr. Kevin Howard with all that he's doing. Um, and now we're going to shift gears a little bit and go back to a head football coach down at Lake Mineola High School down in Florida, and that is Mr. Walter Banks. Coach Banks, how's everything going? Good. How about you guys? Uh, thank you for having me on the show tonight, too. Hey, man, thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for joining us. Um, now, you all had a great year. Before we even get to your year, tell us a little bit about your your coaching journey, you know, where you went to school um, and then where you've been as a coach. Well, I started out in high school, uh, you know, 
went to Alabama State, um, ended up not doing so well there academically. You know, it's being immature, and that's one thing I try to tell my kids now to make sure you concentrate on the school works in high school and time to get into college because it's a big jump. But then I had to go to a junior college in uh, Mississippi to finish up. Then I uh, get, went back to a four-year school, Cumberland University, Cumberland University, right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and Lebanon, Tennessee. You know, gradu- graduated from there, became a graduate assistant uh, football coach there, got my master's, and actually moved to Florida uh, actually 22 years ago, actually. And um, my second stand up for head coach right now, and just right now, just, you know, loving, loving life and loving the kids right now. Good, 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 good. Well, they, well you all had a great year. Um, tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about your year. This year, you know, we knew we had a great nucleus coming back, but then, you know, obviously we got hit with the pandemic and shut down. And you went, I went four, I think four months without even, you know, putting eyes on our kids. So I didn't know what type of, you know, shape they were going to come in, which they didn't come in in no shape at all. So in around June, they actually started letting us work with the kids for one hour. And that lasted all the way until um, mid August when they allowed us to start practicing football. So, and, and actually, we came out, didn't have an identity. It took us, you know, middle way through the year. Our defense was a lot more advanced than offense. Offense didn't have an identity at all. And by the fifth game of the year or something like that, we, we started getting an identity and hit a roll. And, you know, and made, and we thank God we made it to the state championship game, but we just got to finish the next time we get there. That's the first time that uh, Lake Mineola has been to the state championship, right? Uh, 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 yes, and uh, one thing I was so proud about these kids is first time in 37 years that anybody from Lake County had made it to the state championship game of football. So these, you know, those those kids actually made history a little bit. You know, being a, being being the first in that in that long time, almost four decades. So it's not just the first at Lake Mineola because Lake Mineola is 10, 15 years. Lake Mineola, we're 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 10 years old. And um, actually, last year we won our first district championship of school. Uh, then this year, obviously, we you know we was regional champs and went on to the state championship now. Now, um, what kind of accolades do some of your players get? You know, the, the biggest thing um, we got a lot of uh, our quarterback Robert Sanders. Uh, you know. Uh, actually, he was the wide receiver that was moved to quarterback because our starting quarterback got hurt the third game of the year. So that's one thing I want to say about these kids, how much adversity they fall through coming from the pandemic and coming from an injury, especially from a quarterback, and he pretty much runs run the offense. You know, so they fall through all that adversity. But, you know, Robert Sanders from a wide receiver, he stepped in as a quarterback and ended up throwing for um, close to 1,000 yards and rushing for 1,000 yards and, you know, First team all area in Orlando Center area, and we also got another kid, Duke Walker. He's the play. He's the player of the year uh, in in uh, in his in the surrounding surrounding county and so stuff like that. And but our biggest our biggest talent is our junior class coming back. You know we are we're going to return to sixteen out of twenty two starters. So that's that's the class that's you know that's going to get all the accolades, all the big time scholarships and stuff like that. Okay. Sixteen out of twenty-two. Wow. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a pretty good nucleus coming back. Now that's a pretty good nucleus coming mm-hmm. back. Right. Yeah. Now, now, now who did we count with? Go ahead. I was gonna say who who are some of the names that we 
Make sure we keep our eyes on. Like uh, Nick, uh, Nick Campbell, he's a defensive tackle for us. He's a, uh, a can't miss kid. You know, next year in the recruiting class, big kid, six three, six four. You know, two eighty five player. You know, got the speed to play on the uh, defensive end, and but he's going to be he projected uh, inside guy. You know, uh, in college, uh, Brendan Flakes also another big kid. We have six four, two sixty. He's a defensive end uh, also, uh, and Drake Harwell, our linebacker. Our defense is actually. You know, our best part of our team, we got a majority of our starters coming back, and that's where I would say most of our next-level talent is on that defensive line, defensive side. Well, we just saw in the Super Bowl that defense wins championships. So, <laughs> yes. Hey. I appreciate watching the Super Bowl. Because I'm an old school coach that like to play good defense and run the football, and by all my assistant coaches, right. OC saying I got to go no huddle and got to throw the ball everywhere. But I'm a type of guy that I run the ball three times, and I'm just as happy if I win fourteen to ten. You know, just good, just yep. good football. So, so it was, it was good right. to see that, you know, no back in football. Right, right, and that was that's definitely what we got a chance to see. That's definitely what we got a mm-hmm. chance to see. Now. Let's take a moment and let's look at um, where we are right now uh, from a recruiting standpoint. Of course, Mm -hmm. NCAA has allowed uh, every senior, football-wise, to come back. Mm -hmm. How is that impacting the classes? 2021 and the class of 2022. It's, it's, it's impacting us, you know, big time. I didn't, I don't know if, if the uh, NCAA uh, thought of, thought that far down to how much it will it will affect, uh, you know, high schools and and junior college. To be honest with you, and we're leaving a lot of talented kids, you know, left out. Now, if you're if you are a Clemson, Alabama, good, you you have no problem. They, you know, those kids are not going to take that extra year. They're going to go to the NFL or, or, or wherever, mm-hmm. wherever they choose to go. But it's the, it's the mid-majors, the, you know, the FCS kids, the Division II kids and stuff like that. That's, the, uh, that's what's really hurting us like that. But, mm-hmm. And also, we're tight, and we got a double whammy uh, with, with, the, with the portal. You know, and, lo- and right. a lot of coaches out there, you know, Going to the portal to get a quick fix, you know, and stuff like that, and still, and you know, jumping down, and you know, you know, go, you know, having a process, you know, like you have the kids in your program for three or four years. But you know, and I and I talk to a lot of coaches, uh, college coaches, about that, you know, and they feel the same way I feel. But they, their hands are tied. They're gonna have to go to the portal to get these quick fix because everybody else is doing. It. So it's you know, that's one of the things you're you're running into. But it it is hurting. You know, hot athletics big time. And again, the from what I've seen and talking with some from collegiate coaches, the FCS, um, and I imagine some of your uh, Group of Five schools, your Division mm-hmm. Two schools, they have to make a decision mm-hmm. because NCAA says yes, everybody gets another year. But on the same token, 
you know, we're not giving you any money, so if you can afford it, you can have them all. So you can have mm. those 10 seniors plus sign your 15 kids if you can afford to do that. But, of course, right. everybody can't mm. afford to do that. And Correct. I mm-hmm. saw what we that instead of signing kids, I'm going to go on and keep my seniors. So mm-hmm. that's going to leave those kids out. And I imagine that's right. what you mean when you say yeah. that aspect, you know. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, in that aspect, you know, you know, somebody's getting left out. And unfortunately, you know, you know I'm, in, I'm a high school coach and I'm an advocate, you know, for my, for my kids. So I'm being more vocal that my kids are the ones that are getting left out. And I understand, you know, the decision that the presidents and the ADs have to make at those levels when it comes to finance. I totally understand it with all the pandemic stuff going on. But in the bottom line is we still have a group of kids that is getting left out. And a lot of people have a disconnect. A lot of coaches on the college level have a disconnect of, what type of community do these kids live in? And these are some, some, in some uh, cases, football is the only avenue for some of these kids to get out. So, yes, I understand that they got to make a decision or they don't want to spend the money, but I'm telling you, I've been in high school for, you know, 20 some years, and I see what kids come from. I would rather yeah. spend the money than let these kids go to the streets like they don't have, you know, like most of them probably going to do, and I hope that's not the case. But, the, you know, you've been around as long as I know. If these kids don't have anything to, to look forward to, they go find something to look forward to. That crack is going to get filled somewhere. So, you know, so I understand the decision, but me in the trenches with these kids that need athletics to get them out, you know, you know I'm upset about it. Does that make sense to you? you know? So there's some kids that, hey, they can afford to go walk on for a year and and then – you know, wait for something to happen. Um, Correct. But some kids, there's there's nothing. And, and the thing is, right. if their grades are good, they'll be fine. But some of them, they don't have that type of grades where, you know, they can just get that type of scholarship. Correct. Uh, Correct. Uh, majority, majority, uh, majority of athletes, you're going to have that core GPA of a Two seven two eight. You know well as I know is if you just come in as a regular student, you you're not gonna get past admission with a two seven. You know right. and stuff like that. So you so you run into that all those issues. So and it, and it's actually you know it put us high co- high school coaches in a bind because we just got hit in the face with it. We didn't have a plan. Right. I didn't know that what we have to do because all this stuff is going on. So we just got hit right. with it. Then another aspect of of this is the class of 2022. Um, Just just to talk through what the recruiting process normally looks like. Normally, and again, I know you know this, so I'm just sort of explaining it for our Mm -hmm. listeners. Um, Mm -hmm. Normally, those juniors have already been on campus. Mm -hmm. So they've been on different campuses. They they have an idea of who's really recruiting them. Um, mm-hmm. Seniors are normally done. I actually read a report this morning where the FBS schools signed 400 less kids than they have in past years. Wow. That 
over three kids per school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then what we find? Mm-hmm. So, wow. I'm talking about the class of 2021. For the class of 2022, I mean, they haven't been on anybody's campus because they couldn't mm-hmm. unless they went as a, mm-hmm. as a sophomore. If they didn't go to the mm-hmm. sophomore, they haven't left campus because everything's been dead. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them didn't even play this year because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what's happen to that cycle? Right. You know, and it's, and it's, and it's crazy that I have to tell my tw- class of 22 that, for one, you can't wait around like you normally will wait around and make a decision. So I have my kids that, you know, I said, get your top three schools. We know these offers is committable. You get in your car and just you take a road trip and just ride around dog on campus. And I have kids and parents that have, have done that because, it, it, you know, right. the, the parents want to see what, you know, what town or yep. or whatever they want, mm-hmm. they're going to send their child to. So so you're having a lot of that that's going on, you know, with it. Yep. Yep. And, and then, the, of course, the question goes back. And I've had to do that because my daughter's a senior. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, like she's interested in Hampton, she's interested in Spelman. Um, but, of course, campus is closed. So she got to ride around just, just to go see what it's like in the area with nobody around because nobody's there because campus is closed. So that's tough, too. Mm-hmm. It's tough to get a good feel. You know, in recruiting, right. a lot of times it's feel. You know, when I get there, I sort of got that feel that this is where I'm supposed to be. But... If I don't have opportunity to talk to anybody, if I don't have the opportunity to interact with anybody, how do I know mm-hmm. if that's the right feeling? So right. I think part of what's going on, there's going to be a lot of people in the portal next year because they went to a school and that wasn't the right fit for them. That's correct. And, and, and on the other part of that, you know, when, when someone recruits, uh, um, one of my kids, you know, I'm involved in their recruiting, so I want to, you know, so I get it, so I can sit there and talk with the area recruiter, or the coordinator, or even get the head coach on the phone, you know, or the head coach will come down with one visit or whatever. But I can't be face to face with nobody to get a good feel on them, you know, right. if this guy means what he says or what, you know. So it's, it, it kind of handcuffs me to giving giving uh, families advice advice. To what school to go to? Because I don't even know. I only, I only know the coach staff. You know how yeah. they're going to treat my kid or what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's that's probably the same reciprocal as well. Because the coaches, they get a little face time, but that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's right. there's something recruiting somebody. There's something to be sitting across from them, so I can see his mm-hmm. body language, see how he reacts to his mom and dad, yeah. see how he yeah. his interaction other players. All these things are an important part of the recruiting process. And I know it's it's COVID. We can't do that. But mm-hmm. how is that going to affect these next couple of years? And then another Correct. aspect, because you have the seniors that are coming back, is that going to create a gap in, in their program as far as, hey, all of a sudden I got 20 seniors instead of 12? Um, right, right. And I didn't... Only brought in four freshmen instead of fifteen. So mm-hmm. is that going to happen that class? Yeah, and but of course, we might be feeling the effect. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I said we might be feeling the effect of this for next five years, probably. 
I can see that. Um, mm-hmm. Because, again, the power five, at this point, they're normally mm-hmm. no other who they're recruiting in 2022. Mm-hmm. They've already been mm-hmm. by the school. Um, they, they've seen the kid work out, and it's, they, they know. they got them pinpointed. All right. Now, I doubt many of them have the 2022 class pinpointed. Okay. They, they can't. They, they'll be doing it blind, you know. Right. And, right. And, and I'm the type of person, I mean, yeah, you can watch them, but I want you, I want to see what your character look like. <laughs> you know, exactly. I said, get in that room and see see what your, your mannerism, you know, stuff like that. Right. So you're going to have a lot of, you're going to have a lot of college, and with a lot of colleges, you know, get, get wrong guys, but you're going to start seeing a lot of wrong fit, at, like you said earlier, at these schools on both ways, right. you know, because nobody has yeah. done a, a diligent job of recruiting them and recruiting their families, getting in there, talk to the guidance council, talking to the teachers, the principals, like they normally would do, mm-hmm. you know. So. That's true. That's true. So you're right. This will have a, a, a big impact across the board mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at every level. And, yes. and I think mm-hmm. because of some of the seniors that are coming back, um, mm-hmm. is going to actually give. You know, there might be some kids that that get a chance that wouldn't normally get a chance because there's going right. to be they need. Right. Mm-hmm. That needs to some further stuff down the road too. So it's it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, right. And, and I, <laughs> you should just see how all this works out. And, and again, it's right. it's nobody's fault. Um, no nope. pandemic nope. fault. We're just trying mm-hmm. to do the best that we can. Pandemic, but we're talking about real life issues. Um, yes, that affect thousands of kids. Mhm. Mhm. You're 100 right. And then I guess the question is, as a, as a head coach, what do you do? As a head high school coach, what do you do? What what is what is your advice for these kids um, that are going through this right now? And, and like I had to tell Miles, I mean, for one, you just got to have you have to have faith. And and like I told told my running back just the other day, trust that process. You you are, you are a hardworking kid. You you know you live right, you do everything right, and I'm a big believer the Lord's gonna take care of you. You know, so that, and so that's why I preach to my kid because we can't control anything that's going on right now. So the only advice I can give to to them is a spiritual advice, you know, and stuff like that. So. And just like I said, have faith and just trust the process on it. That's true. That's very true. It's uh, it's gonna get crazy. It's gonna yep. get crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, uh, you can tell a little bit from the Zoom and, and all of that, but but yes, I agree. Um, just just being mm-hmm. right in your face is, is definitely. Something that is right. beneficial as far as, as, far as right. getting another phone. There's a two way street, as you said. Because right. I got to be uh, trust the man that's, that's recruiting me and I'm going to play for. So, right. that is definitely. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another thing, I can see how the class of 2023 is going to feel some repercussions from this as well. Yes. 
Yeah, like I said, it might, it might be five years before those numbers uh, get back right. Oh, and, and then you never know because for once we got to get this we got to get this pandemic under control. No doubt. So we going to look like. So that, are you all going to have a spring practice or, or what does spring going to look like? Right now we're full go to you know to start spring practice uh, on, on time you know everything like that in which. You know, we are doing the best we can as a school district and trying to keep everybody, you know, you know, healthy and all that stuff like that at school. But, you know, obviously the problem is it, it occurs when they go home and who they're around right. when they go home, you know, and stuff exactly. like that. But we, we're just doing the best best we can as keeping everything sanitized, wearing masks, social distancing, much as we can when it comes to football. So it's just, you know, just those things like that. And just I was surprised that we actually played a football season, to be honest with you. So you know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty much 100 percent confident we're gonna get spring practice now. Good, 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 good. Well, coach, mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Um, thank you for joining us tonight, and uh, good luck to you all this spring. And we're gonna be looking for you all to go on and uh, win a championship with that defense you got coming back. Mm-hmm. No I pressure. appreciate you, y'all. <laughs> all right, I appreciate you y'all. Stay safe out there, and uh, appreciate you for having me, brother. All right, man. Will you take care? Hey, we're going to go on a quick break, and we'll be back in a few minutes.
Sands, I'm I'm glad to join you on here. Hey man, I appreciate it, man. You all had a great year. Um, congratulations. You know, you finished the, you know with uh, the Buffalo Bills, and and actually, um, you had opportunity to play with uh, a young man that that had that I coached when I was at the Citadel. Andre. Okay. Robert. Oh, uh, that is my man. Dre is he's one of a kind. He's there's a reason why, what, he's probably 32 years old and he's still doing what he's doing. The man just has a knack for returning kicks, big-time playmaker, and, and just selfless, man. He, he's one of the best. Good, 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 good. He, uh, he's, he's definitely a, a good one. And uh, I even remember to the point where we were recruiting him. So he's, I'm glad to see that he's doing really well for himself. So, but yeah, He's um, tough. This, he's tough. Yeah. This season was a season like no other. Um, of course, you really didn't have a, a preseason. Uh, but tell yeah. us a little bit how, well, before we even go there, uh, just tell us a little bit about your career and, and where you've been and, and some of the things that you've done. Yeah, so uh, I was a two-star uh, prospect coming out of high school uh, from down in Orlando, Florida. For some reason, Coach Fugger thought I was good enough, and he offered me a scholarship to South Carolina. Um, played fullback in a little bit of tight end there for four years, and then uh, entered the 2011 draft, which was the lockout year. Uh, ended up going undrafted, signed with the San Diego Chargers um, as an undrafted rookie free agent. Broke my foot in the third day of training camp uh, about a week after that, I was back in Columbia, South Carolina, doing my therapy there. Um, and I was really close to being done with football and getting into the coaching world and, and exploring that. And the Chiefs called my agent and wanted to work me out, and the good Lord didn't want me to coach yet. So he uh, sent me on a different way, and I, and I signed with the Chiefs. I played there for a year. I started off in their practice squad for about 10 weeks and then got activated the last six was released that spring. We didn't have a real good year. We went two and 14. Um, so I got released there and I signed with Atlanta uh, pretty soon after that. I played four years in Atlanta. Um, had some really good ones. 2015, I was selected to the Pro Bowl All Pro. 2016, uh, we played in the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, came up just short to none other than Tom Brady. Uh, and then free agency that following year, I signed up in Buffalo and I spent four years up in Buffalo. So it's been a heck of a ride. It wasn't an easy journey, um, but uh, a lot of those, a lot of those scars and being told I wasn't good enough and getting hurt and overcoming the obstacles kind of really, really helped drive me throughout the whole process. Nice, nice. Now, I, I have to, I have to go back to uh, Super Bowl 2015. Oh, uh, don't do it to me! Don't do it to me! <laughs> 
Oh, uh, don't make me relive this. <laughs> I was going to say one statement. Well, just one. My statement, I said that Tom Brady won two Super Bowls um, because the opposing offensive coordinator wanted to be a guru. Um, and I go. You are and 100% I, and I, correct. Yeah, it just. It's, that's, it's third and one. You up by 16. Why are you throwing the ball? Well, shoot. I mean, going back all the way to that, I mean, Julio made that catch on the sideline at what, the 26, 27 yard line? I mean, just an acrobatic catch. And we got the ball first and 10 with a little over two minutes to go. They got, I want to say, one or no timeouts. We're up 16, so up two scores. And Julio makes that catch. And as soon as he, as soon as, I mean, I'm running the huddle figuring we're going, you know, 22 personnel. We're going to run power, power, power. If we convert, game over. If not, Matt Bryan has a – our kicker has a 45-yard field goal to put us up three scores. And he calls in 11 personnel, which is which is one back. Um, so, I come running off the field and I'm yelling, I'm like, what in the world are we doing here? Um, and sure enough, first play holding penalty, next play sack, another holding penalty. And it's – sooner or later, it's fourth and 40. So, uh, a lot of stuff would – I mean, shoot, so close to winning the Super Bowl, just a couple adjustments, you know, and I'd have a ring on my hand right now. Yep, yep. And that would make you feel a little bit better. That would make you feel a little bit better. Yeah, just a little. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm sure all the Atlanta fans would be a, feel a little bit better now as well because they still don't have yeah. – uh, the They got that bitter taste still for sure. I guess the Braves the only one that the Braves won a World Series, right? Yeah, back in the late nineties, I believe. Yeah. Okay. I, I should know that because I grew up a Chipper Jones fan. Yep. Yeah. The uh but yeah. I'm sorry I had to I had to bring that up, but you know, hey it's one of those I, I, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a question I'm never going to be able to get away from I I imagine throughout my throughout the, my next uh Next career steps. That question is going to come up a lot. <laughs> well, it makes you feel any better. In in twenty twenty fifteen, I had an opportunity to uh, do an internship with the uh, Seattle Seahawks. Um, so I asked Marshawn, <laughs> Marshawn, why did they give you the ball? <laughs> we, oh boy, what do you answer to that? <laughs> A little bit of explicit words that was being said, but uh, <laughs> I mean, but yeah, I mean that's um, that's that's the thing is like like you said, every coordinator wants to be the guru. I went up, actually went up to uh, Coach Shanahan after the game, and I was like, like man, like what what were you thinking? And he said that him and Quinn talked, and they said they were going to call the game aggressive and stick to the, stick to what got them there, and, and that's kind of what got them there. Um, so you can't fault him for that, but. Um, you can still be kind of bitter and pissed uh, off. <laughs> if I'm Quinn, I would have fired. I would have been like, you know what, you're fired. But he already took a job yeah. with the 49ers. I don't I fired him anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't matter, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but as you know, if, if it works, he's a hero. Um, but, of course, it didn't. So now everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking yeah. about it. So. Now, um, this year has been a, a different year. How was the preseason for you, even though 
Let's go back a little further. What was your thought process? Because there were no mini camps, there were no OTAs. So, what was that thought process leading up to the season? You know, so this was just a weird year in general. Uh, you know, we went through the whole CBA. I was the union rep for the for the Bills for my whole four years up there. So we went through the whole we renegotiated the entire CBA. So we had the brand new CBA, and then COVID hits. And then right when COVID hits, you know, everything's on lockdown. They start going through protocols. Um, I'm on a phone call, feels like, almost every night with either the league or, or with the union trying to figure this stuff out. But, I mean, as a – going into my 10th year is actually like kind of a blessing. Um, to, to be an older – it was good for older guys, bad for younger guys. That's, what, that's how I explain it because, I mean, we're learning virtually. There's no walkthroughs. There's no practices. There's none of that. So – from a from a nine or ten year vet, I'm like, sweet, I get to hang out at home with my family, I get to train at my local gym, stay with my trainer, I get to continue to keep my body right. I'm home, I'm in Atlanta, like like life is good. On the other side, you look at the rookies that are missing out on those opportunities, those reps, uh, and the chance to like really learn and 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 learn how to be a pro. Because I think that's one of the biggest uh, steps when it comes from going to the college to the pros is just like kind of just being in the building and understanding what the vets do and how to take care of your body. So, um, I mean, for, from my standpoint, I thought it was pretty cool. I was with my wife and two kids from, from the end of January all the way up until training camp started in July. So I got a, a, a lot of family time, which was awesome. Um, but I, I do see the kickback from some of the younger guys. Right. Right. The, um, and, and then the other thing that, that didn't happen, is there's so many guys um, that normally get a chance to go to camp, that rookie yeah, mini camp. They cut those numbers. Yeah. Yeah. They never got a shot because there, there was no rookie mini camp. Um, so there was only yeah, a few that, was, that got, got Yeah, when when we were talking through the negotiations with the protocols, it was – and the league was pushing this just as much as the union was, is what can we do to make it most safe to make sure that season gets played, uh, to make sure the, the NFL gets their TV revenue and to make sure the players get their credited seasons and get some portion of salary so that, like, people can make money in life and continue to go on. And that was to limit numbers, uh, unfortunately. Um, that came from both ends. But it, it does stink in that sense where some younger guys who would who, – in a normal circumstance, would have got the opportunity to get a rookie minicamp. Uh, you know, training camp, I think, only – we only had 75 or 80 guys for training camp. Usually that number's at 90. So it would have been more guys getting opportunities for reps. Um, so it was a difficult year to be an undrafted rookie or even just a rookie in general. Um, so, yeah, it, it's kind of like – kind of like my rookie year coming in. It was 2011 lockout year where there was no, no OTAs, no minicamps. Uh, jump right in their training camp, but there's a lot of lost guys in that year. So um, it, it's weird how that happens. It is. It is. It is. Now, the how did uh, what you did at USC help prepare you for the NFL? Uh, you know, I, what was pretty cool is like I, I got there as a two star, and, and, and I figured I was going to redshirt. Um, red shirt, gray shirt, whatever shirt they were going to throw at me, I was just happy to be a part of the team. Um, but my freshman year, actually, I didn't red shirt, didn't gray shirt, nothing. I was thrown right into the action. And I played uh, on all four phases of special teams, uh, which was 
great for me because it was able to teach me the craft and like the way that the NFL is approached for unless you're a first or second round pick is like you prove that you're good enough to play on special teams and then the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator will start asking the special teams coordinator like hey what's the deal with so-and-so like he's a pretty good player he's making plays for you on special teams that's your way to get on the field offensively or defensively so that was a great thing for me to be able to learn as a freshman coming in and I, I played all four phases all four years uh, during my time in South Carolina but uh, a unique situation happened my senior year uh, we had a guy get in trouble uh, he was messing around with agents or, or something and he actually got suspend, suspended for the year and Coach Spurrier was like you know in typical Coach Spurrier fashion he goes hey D Mark you're pretty smart you think you can learn how to play tight end for us this year and this was in the spring of uh, spring of my junior year so, I mean, of course I said yes. The more opportunities you get to be on that field, the more you can prove your worth, the more you can work your craft. Um, so that was a pretty unique experience where I was able to play both fullback and tight end. Um, and I was really able to, to just get on the field more, get more action. I caught a bunch of more balls. I learned new techniques that I carried over to the NFL. Um, so it, it, was a, it was a really great opportunity for me to continue to grow as a player. Right, right. And see, what you said is, is uh, something that I sort of implemented for the last 10 years or so of my career. And that was, if you're not on the two deep special teams, you cannot be a starter for me. Of course, I coached the running backs. Yep. But that, that was it. You want to you, you play in the NFL. The only way you're going to get to the NFL is if you can do something on special teams. So if you're not on the two deep, the then you're not going to start. If everybody get hurt, if you're not in too deep, then I'm going to go find somebody that's on the too deep. That was, yep. that was it. So that, no, that, that, that's a great philosophy. I mean, because you, you learn so much on teams. Like, uh, I mean, you learn just like hand violence. You learn like, I mean, a lot of it's avoiding. Like, it's what a running back does. Like, make a guy miss in a hole. It's the same thing as when you're covering a kick and he's trying to square you up. You give him a one-two, you jab him, you use your hands to get off. Um, so, I mean, it's just all, it's all a tool set that, I mean, special teams in, in general is a tool set that you can carry to any facet of football, which, which makes that phase of the game so cool. Yep, exactly, exactly. And the thing is, it's from a learning perspective, it's not as heavy lifting as offensive and defense. If, if you're willing it's to run, learn, run and hit, baby, run, run and hit. <laughs> you, you can play on special teams. And, hey, as yeah. you said, that's the football. I got to run. I got to hit. You do that? Okay, we can teach you everything else, but you got to do that first. So yeah, it, I'm, that, I'm that sitting was, here and, I, and I'm just. If I ran four 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 five, man, I would have been a demon on special teams. My, my, my four eight four nine put me in some matchups that were a little questionable. So I wish I had a little more speed. It would have helped me on that end, but but I ended up working out playing ten years. Yeah, but hey, but the things you learned early in college help prepare you for that. And that and that's good because you oh, played on teams. You... They were so crucial. I was a special teams captain, served on all the uh, special teams committees. You know, I try to mentor the young guys coming in because you know, unfortunately, the way the college is now is that you know you're a stud and you don't really play on special teams. It's kind of like developed the NFL model where you know you're not forced to have to go out there and cover kicks if you're the starter, and usually you know the starter gets drafted. So it's the, a lot of these guys are behind the eight ball coming in, four-star prospects, like prima donnas, think, think they don't have to play special teams. 
miss out on the whole learning curve of, of learning that part of the game. And then they get to the NFL and they're like, oh, shoot, I've never done this before. Well, exactly. you should have you did it when they asked you to right when you get to college. Well, here's the thing, all right? We transition again. Um, one of the things with the West Foundation, you know, our, our goal is to help kids understand that they can be successful without being a professional athlete. So we want them to chase their goals. Um, we want them because of the stuff that you're going to learn from, from that work ethic, from that teamwork, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but we also understand that your sport's going to end at some point. So we want to help them develop a tools for success after their sport ends. So you're at that point where you've had an opportunity to play in college. You had an opportunity to play in 10 years in the NFL. So what's next? What, what do you have on, on your plate? What are you planning on doing uh, in the next phase of your life? Yeah, so I, I mean, I just recently retired. I announced my retirement probably a week ago. Um, so right. Right. F- funny you should ask that. And I'm kind of going through that process now. But, um, you know, through, you know, I was always, I kind of went the went the other way in some, in some instances where, you know, my parents always said, what's your plan, ABC? And I was like, football, football, football. Like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to do whatever I can to make it. Um, but I, but I considered exploring coaching, uh, and furthering my education, um, were two things that I considered doing right out of college. And then, you know, as I played, uh, two, three, four years and I kind of realized, okay, I've set my, set my foundation in the NFL. I'm going to play for a couple more years. Then I started transitioning and, uh, I'm, uh, I got some, I'm doing some like real estate investment stuff. Um, I'm invested in a couple of franchises, um, but I think my next career move will probably um, – I would like it to stay in sports, maybe coaching, player development, player personnel-ish uh, uh, with football. And if not, then I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in, like, medical device sales um, and, and, like, uh, just residential uh, and commercial real estate. So um, I'm actually I'm, I'm in the process right now. As soon as I get off this call, I'm going to finish taking my final exam. I'm taking a taking an IT class through uh, uh, Indiana University, their Kelly School. They run like a grad school program. So I'm um, furthering my education right now uh, as we speak. Uh, I got two more classes until I finish this business certificate, uh, and hopefully that will. I'm doing this to kind of urge me and push me in the right direction on what exactly I want to do. Cause I don't, I don't want to jump into something that's just going to pay the bills. I want, I want to, I want to jump into something that's going to be fulfilling. That's going to tug on my heartstring. That's, that's going to be of purpose for me. And it's going to make Patrick DeMarco a better person, a better dad, a better husband, um, just a better human. So uh, I'm really excited about what this next chapter is, wh- whatever it is. Um, I'm going to attack it head on. That's good. That's good. So real estate investing, investing in franchises, definitely you so say you're working on further education. You're getting a business certificate. What was your undergrad in? Uh, I got a double in marketing and management uh, from the business school in South Carolina. And, and then I also got a minor in sport and entertainment management. Um, you know, funny story is my, my last semester of college was when I was training for the – I didn't get invited to the combine, so I was training for the pro day. 
in, in order to get that double major, I had to take like four or five extra classes uh, to get the right. marketing and management double degree. So I ended up taking, I think it was 21, 21 credit hours my last semester of my senior year, which was seven classes. And, you know, the freedom of not having football practice, just like training and like focusing on my body and recovery, I had so much extra free time. It was actually my best semester of college. I, I think I that semester I had like a 3.875 GPA. Um, I ended up graduating wow. with about a 3.334 three, three, Um so, I mean, it was, it, you know, college athletics is a full-time job. Um, it's, you know, there's no way around it. It's the, the grueling part of, of getting a, a first-degree education uh, and also competing at the highest level of intercollegiate sports. So it's, uh, it's definitely a great preparation for, for the real world and, and, and time management and developing relationships, um, people skills. Um, there's so much you can learn from sports. Um, I mean, I've been asked a million times, am I going to let my little boy, I have a four-year-old son, Weston, am I going to let him play football when he's older with all this concussion and, and this and that? And I'm, you, you're dang right I am. Like, I learned so much from that sport. Uh, it, it's turned me into the man I am. It's turned me into the husband, dad I am. It's, it's set so many uh, fundamental values that I have in life that I don't want him to miss out on that. Now, if, if it's not his passion, it's not his passion. He can, you know, go play golf or this or that. But there's so much you can learn from the team sport and, and relying on somebody else and, and developing that brotherhood that I, I don't want him to miss out on that for sure. Yep. And then another big part is athletics is one of the last places that kids are held accountable. Because mm-hmm. said, it's not just about you, it's about everybody else on the team. So yep. before I, which I asked the question earlier, did uh, Andy Reid's son, you know, that issue, how did that affect the team? You know, so even though yeah. action didn't directly affect everybody, but I think indirectly it it affected the Chiefs. And I know 100%. it hurt sure I mean, that, that's a That's a huge disturbance. I mean, I, during my time in Atlanta, I feel like my last two years, like Coach Quinn killed the culture part. Like, uh, Coach Quinn's just an incredible human being, incredible man, genuine, like just a full-on leader, very relatable. But he, he made it simple. Like when we broke down every meeting, um, you know, before every game, like rule number one is in effect, he would say. And rule number one would be to protect the team. So that's whatever you do, you're reliable to every man in this huddle right now. You're, re- you're uh, reliable to every man in this room. So, like, you're, just be accountable. Do do your job. Don't screw it up, um, and just know that if if when you do something wrong, you're gonna have to answer to every man in this room why you did it. Um, and I tell you what, that built such a great culture and a great like a brotherhood, a bond that is just inseparable. Um, so I mean, that stuff is it's so strong. That is that is that's, that's really good, really good. So that is oh. Number one rule is protect the team. That's good. Yep. That is good. Now, the he, he he kept it simple. There were only three. It was rule one was protect the team. Uh, rule two right. rule two was early is on time, and rule three was ignore the outside noise. So the only like 
what goes on in the building goes on in the building. What, don't read articles. Don't read newsletters. Don't let so-and-so saying this about our team. Don't let that affect us. Let's worry about us. So he kept it short and sweet, and, and everything he, he said hit home. Right, right. Yep. That's it. And that, that's something about early is on time because that's fake. Time is something you don't get back. And, and if you're yep. wasting my time, then you're taking something from me that I'll never get back to you. You can take my money. I can make more money. But if you take yep. your time, hey, we, we got some issues. Man. We got some issues. That's so true. Uh, now, um, as we get ready to come to a close, I'm sure there's a lot that you've learned throughout the years. Um, give me a couple of pieces of advice for young people that have aspirations to not only play collegially, but play professionally. Yeah, uh, I mean, shoot, you know, when I was a I was a ten year old kid, I. I I dreamed to be a Mike Allstott. Uh, I remember sitting in my grandparents' yard playing catch with my dad, and I would flip my shirt over, acted like I had the big horse collar, like, you know, looking like 250, although I was like 110 pounds. Um, but I had dreams right. of being Mike Allstott. Um, and, I, you know, I carried those dreams. I mean, I still carry those dreams. I, you know, I still wish I was Mike Allstott. I still wish I carried the ball more in the NFL. But um, I think there's always there's something to – like having that dream and that ambition and setting your mind on something and just knowing that there's nothing that's going to hold me back. People are going to tell me I'm not good enough. Cool. I'll prove my, I'll prove to them I am. People are going to tell me I'm not smart enough, not strong enough, not fast enough. Okay, okay. I might not be, but I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this to supplement that. Um, so, I mean, my biggest advice would be just to chase your dreams with all you got. Um, you know, I was that kid. I was chasing my 10-year-old 10-year-old dreams, um, and they ended up becoming a reality. So um, I guess something else would just be, like, uh, my dad My dad told me this when I was, like, seven or eight years old. During my first football season in third grade, um, we were, like, pre-practice. It was my first year playing, and a bunch of the kids before practice were goofing off, like running up a hill and doing somersaults going down. And my dad grabbed me, and he goes, Pat, that's – we're not, we're not going to be, we're not going to be one of those kids. Like you, you're going to be a leader. You're, you're like you're going to lead by example, be a leader, not a follower. Um, and that's something that I've carried with me, um, you know, since that time. Um, I'm not a big rah-rah leader guy. I'm, I'm more of a lead by example. Uh, I have an intimate relationship where I'll pull you off to the side and I'll talk to you man to man. But um, I mean, that's another critical thing that helped me get as far as I did. And, and I think the next thing is just, to love your teammates uh, at whatever level you're at. Um, and especially talking to like, if, if a bunch of high school kids are listening to this, like you're playing ball right now with your best childhood friends. Like these are the kids that you grew up elementary school, middle school. I mean, who knows? You might've went to daycare with them. Like you're playing ball with your lifelong best friends. Like enjoy that, embrace that moment. And, and don't let it pass you by because the next level, if, if you're if you're blessed enough to go to the college level, it starts to become a business and it starts to become like you, you got to perform to keep your scholarship and, and you got schoolwork and you had so much other stuff going on. You'll still create those friendships, but it won't be the same as it was in high school. And then you get to the professional level and it's a full on business. So uh, I would say to a lot of the high school kids out there, embrace the moment, 
embrace the time that you're playing, you know, you're playing with your buddies. Uh, you know, I, I still look back on my high school days and I'm like, man, I, I took some of those moments for granted. Some of my best friends, I didn't, you know, I didn't hug them enough, tell them how appreciative I was of them playing ball with me and teaching me everything. So those are just a few small things. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Now, one other thing, just as um, one other question that I have is just come up. Um, just from your perspective, and, and you sort of hit on it, where once you get to the professional level, it, it is now a business. Um, how was that? I mean, because somebody once told me that. That second contract, football is no longer fun and it's just straight business because now it is truly my job. The first contract, I still playing because I love it. Second contract, now it's a business and and, I, and I'm playing it because that's my. Um, how was I that? Think, I think, or is that true? And how was that transition? You as a there, it, there definitely is truth to that. I think a lot of it is is circumstantial. So kind of depending on your circumstance, um, but. Um, you know, it, it, it is a job, like, you know, and, and I guess the, the, the easiest way to like really affect, you know, a player and, and it's the way that the NFL goes is what's the quickest way to make you change something. It's taking your money. Um, so fines, like they're everywhere. Uh, you know, there's fines for, if you're overweight a pound, I think it was during my time in Atlanta, it was like $980 a pound. If you are overweight, um, during weigh-ins, which, which happened every week. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, I never lost the joy of the game, which is, which is awesome. I've, I've had a lot of friends that, that did lose, did lose the joy of the game. Um, so I'm thankful for my process. And, and I think a lot of that goes back to how just appreciative I was for the game and how grateful I was to play it. Um, but I definitely, I, I know a lot of players and I've seen a lot of guys that um, just the business side of it uh, and all the outside noise and all that stuff got to them too much. Um, so it's it kind of goes to Coach Quinn's rule three: was is ignore the noise, focus on you, focus on the the, the task at hand. Um, but it's uh, you know it definitely is like you know there, there's there's zeros that come involved with the game, um, there's relationships that come involved with the game. It's I mean, you play long enough, and and you no, you notice it's a revolving door, like um, year by year. I mean, it's a 53-man roster, but if you look at how many guys played on that 53-man roster during the course of a season, it's probably 70 guys, uh, maybe more than that. So um, you know that guys are getting cut and guys are getting signed, and they're all the the NFL at that level. They're always looking for the next best thing, so you got to stay on top of your game. Hey, man, we appreciate it, and uh, good luck to you as you uh, pursue your next phase uh, of your career, and uh, hopefully we can definitely get you back on sometime so we can talk about the success that you're having post-football. I know that uh, you're going to take that same. Uh, Yeah, I'd love to join you again, and appreciate you having me. Yep, and not to mention, June 26th, if you could, circle it in your calendar. Yep. Um, because it's going to be our uh, West Foundation uh, football cheerleading camp. Um, so we have a football camp down in Conway, South Carolina, and uh, I have guys that play for me and a few guys that play with me that are the coaches. 
So we normally have, you know, 10 to 10 to 12 guys from USC uh, that are down there. So you also get a chance to see some of the guys that 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 played with you and a couple that played after you. Um, so so yep. we definitely love to have yep, you there. Please send me that uh, all that information. I wrote it down. Um, but please, as it gets closer, let me know. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to help out. One of the biggest things, biggest fears I have is, is not being able to pass all this football knowledge on to, to the next generation. So I'd love to come and help Good. out. Good. Well, we'll definitely use you for that because we want to make sure we get it passed on and, and help these young kids uh, and give them a vision of success. So, well, hey, man, so, you have a good one. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. If there's where I was mine, all cows
And the beat goes on. Yes, um, this is Everett saying, West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We're back to wrap up another great night. Um, you know, uh, we had a young lady from NCAA. Um, she's actually in charge of championships. It was a great conversation with her. Of course, uh, she works with Division Two football, softball, uh, women's ice hockey, which I didn't even realize there was a women's ice hockey, and then men's gymnastics. So there are three of those will have uh, some type of spring championship or winter championship for uh, um, ice hockey and then and gymnastics and then softball, of course, is spring. Um, but a nice conversation with her. Then we went to Kevin Howard, which he, he uh, played for me at the Citadel. Did not realize he was into what he was into. Um, He's doing, first of all, done a lot helping HBCUs um, keep their accreditation. But, Shane, I'm not sure if you if heard all of that, but they are, are working on an app that it's okay. a low-orbit app with NASA that can uh, measure the temperature of soil and actually predict soil it can predict whatever. Forest fires. Oh, rip dog. So, uh, and the app is called Turpin Hill. You can find it in the App Store, or you can find it on Google Play. Um, but, but to me, that's that was that that's crazy. And you know, to be able to, you know, measure the temperature of the soil the in chance. space. Um, the things they can do with yeah, technology that's... like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then we talked to oh, Coach yeah. Banks, great talk with Coach Banks. Talked about, you know, his great year. You know, it was the first time in almost 40 years that anybody from that county had an opportunity to go to the state championship. First time for his school, which is only 10 years old. And uh, so, so they were very proud. They had a very great year, and he got 16 of 22 starters coming back. So we're looking for them to, to be back in the dance again next year. Um, but the big thing we talked about was recruiting and how COVID has affected that. How it has affected the 2021 class um, where I was reading earlier, and we had a little conversation about this off the air, how over 400 kids less was signed by FBS schools this year than previous years, which means that's mm-hmm. over three kids per school. So there's 132, 133. It, it changes. It might be 135 now. But that's three kids per school less than what mm-hmm. they signed in previous years. Um, that's a lot of mm-hmm. kids. And that's just it's FBS. Sad. So what does CS do? Mm-hmm. So how many yeah, kids that yeah are, are scholars well, worthy mm-hmm. to have that opportunity? So it's uh, well, hard to and then we finish, not to not yeah not get a chance. Yep. Exactly. And, and here's the thing: Your, some of them that uh, some of the kids that are uh, either have really really good grades um, or have the means to pay for college, 
at least that first year, will have an opportunity to walk on and still chase their dreams. But what about the kids that can't afford it? The kids that just have okay grades. No, the kid that got a two five to a two seven two eight. Um, that he's not going to get any scholarship money because of his grades. He's good enough to play, but will he get the opportunity to? I mean, it's it's good enough. They they may be better than most and not have an opportunity. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's 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 sad, but I'm not sure what can be done. Um, because of the way things are, because uh, the seniors get another year back and some schools are saying I'd rather have a senior than a freshman. So and if that's mm-hmm. the case, you can't blame them. They're trying to win right now. Um uh-huh. do the best that they can. And then we have Patrick Jamal yeah, who's great talking with Great talking with Patrick. You know, he had a he he's had a great career. Um, he's one of those guys that had ten years playing in the league. Um, that is not the norm. Believe me, it is not the norm. Um, there's not a lot of guys that had opportunity to play ten years in the league. The average career is about. 3. What is the average? Average play three years, three and a half, something like that. Three point three. So not quite three and a half. Three point three. Yeah. Um, so they're basically and, maybe the first contract. Yeah, yeah, pretty much mm-hmm. the first contract, and, and then a lot of them don't get opportunity, um, and a lot of them mm-hmm. don't even get through the first. Because you know, football is one of those sports that is not guaranteed. The contract is not guaranteed. Um, whereas, of course, in basketball and baseball, that contract is guaranteed. Well, if they get a hangnail, so I can't play anymore, they got to pay them the whole contract. Uh, and I know I'm, I'm probably being uh, over over exaggerating a little bit, but in essence, that can that, the contracts in basketball and baseball are guaranteed. Um, but you know, he was a two-star athlete. So, you know, I, I think of that. I think of the two-star athlete that plays ten years in the NFL. <clears throat> People talk so much about the four stars and the five stars, um, but yet you got a two-star that plays 10 years in the league. How many five stars don't get past their first contract? Mm-hmm. You're right. The two stars are the ones with, they do it with, with heart. Um, two three stars are, 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 are that you're going to find more often in the NFL. Um, so don't get caught up to all of, all of our, our young student athletes. Don't get caught up in the stars. Right. Because I've seen some five stars that can't play. You know, I've seen some five stars that cannot play dead in the Cowboy movie. They probably had it. They did a great right. job of working out, got the stars, and, and they just can't play. So don't don't say, hey, I'm I'm not a star or five stars. So no, go out there and do the best that you can. And and, and that's something that uh that Demarco actually said. You know, hey. Chase your dreams with everything that you have. If you got your mindset on it, don't let a man tell you that you that you're not good enough, that you can't do it. Uh, because again, going back exactly. to our, our, our days, greatness versus success. You know, in order to be great, I got I'm going to have some success, but I got to go and put my mind that hey, I'm going to go above and beyond 
what everybody else is doing. Here's, here's a way somebody put it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the uncomfortable so later on I can be comfortable. That's, too often, that's right. They just need to do the easy yeah. stuff. Uh, but, but when you go in and take that mindset that I'm going to do the uncomfortable right now so later in life I can be comfortable. So, hey. Yeah. It's like I, um, they said about Michael Jordan, which he was the one that obviously, not just me, but pretty much everybody I knew as a kid that was a hero to him. And um, reading stories about Michael Jordan, what separated him from many other players like that were just as talented as he was, was the amount of natural talent that he had and combined with he also practiced harder and took it more serious than anybody else also. He didn't just rely on his raw ability. He also practiced harder than everybody too, harder than the – Six man on the bench. He, he was the hardest practicer, and he was gifted as well. That's what separated him, and the passion, the passion for it. A lot of guys you see, as well, you, you can see it. You can just watch TV, and you can tell the guy that is there based on his. He's still based on his his raw talent. His talent is what's there, and uh, Jordan would have been a, a great player without the extracurricular, but for the extra time he put in, he became the greatest ever. And uh, that that can, that separates um, success from greatness right there. That is a great example of it. That is a great example. And, and you know what? He had success when he was doing it all himself. But he became mm-hmm. great when he started. Everybody else around him, great as well. And, uh, That's right. And that, that. Now, another topic. Um, just want to get your 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 take on this. Saw a deal today where, um, in Alabama, uh, a state representative Hatcher introduced a bill to allow student athletes to prop up their image um, down in Alabama. He introduced a bill that will allow college athletes to be paid for the use of their image, likeness, and name while enrolled at any university in Alabama. So mm-hmm. athletes could receive compensation for endorsing products on social media, making public appearances, having their likeness used in video games, and many other potential types of revenue. Now, what is your talk? What is your take on that? Oh boy, there's several layers to that. Ever as, as you well know, um, I would say if you'd asked me that question 15 years ago, I would have said it's a bad idea. Um, but as I've grown and looked at it for what it really is, it is a business. Definitely, especially more so now than ever, the amount of revenue that your schools like Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, it's just incredible the amount of money that they're generating. And, and it call it what it is, it is the football team and the basketball team for the most part. Um, the 
the things that it's a little bit could do. I think they should be compensated here. I'll, I can go ahead and say that. I've grown to realize that. Um, what you have to be careful with, where's, I guess, where's the line drawn, Everett? Um, if you have a, you got your Trevor Lawrence's and your Tua's, and then you have the, um, like you were saying earlier, the two star. What? Um, is that just where's the line drawn? And so, and also, what about what happens with the baseball team or the track star? And and how much money are you talking? Is it? There's so many layers to it. But do I think they deserve to be paid? Because, but with the exception of just a few universities where the head coach is the figurehead, the one you think of when you say that school, you say Alabama, you don't think of two or you think of Nick Saban. You say Clemson, you think of Dabo Sweeney. You know, um, mm-hmm. with the exception of just a few schools, you you uh, recognize a university by the player. Right now, if you say Florida, you think of Tim Tebow. Everybody does. You still do because of the amount of attention he brought to that program. Um, so, yes, I think that – the players should be compensated, whereas 20 years ago I would have said the total opposite. Here's here's my first thought, okay? Where is the fairness? Where is the fairness? What do you mean, where's the fairness? I, I should be able to be paid for my likeness if I'm making appearances, okay? Well, this is what I believe will happen if that's the case. The rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer. Because exactly. now in recruiting, if mm-hmm. I'm at a school with a lot of money, I get an opportunity to say, hey, if you come here, we're going to get you this, this deal with this car dealership and we're going to get you a car. Whereas mm-hmm. a school that doesn't have booster or that, they're not going to be able to offer the same thing. So the bigger schools are going to be, it's pretty much going to be who's the highest bidder. Now, there's there's belief now that that goes on behind closed doors. But if you're talking about opening it up where it's just whoever has the most money get the best players, that's going to ruin college football. Um, Exactly right. There would have to be a cap on it. Yeah, if you're going to say, hey, we're going to take it, and we're going to split the money up amongst all the scholarship players. And I say scholarship players, maybe it's all the players. Okay, that's fine. But as soon as you let somebody start making millions and somebody else is only getting 10, 15,000, it's not going to be good. It's mm-hmm. not. That's not going to be good for, for college athletics, period. Um Mm-hmm. I agree. You think about um. They, they, they do get cost of attendance. Um, they should get something. I'm not saying they shouldn't get anything. They should get something. But if you just open it up, you're gonna open up Pandora's box, and college football as we know it is not gonna be the same. Oh uh, yeah, it would become minor league football at that at that point. Right. Definitely. Exactly. Um, yeah, talking about that. If, if Alabama does it, your, your every other school has to follow suit. Um, or where's your players going to go? I mean, they already go to Alabama anyways. There's five or six schools where your elite players go to to start with. And you think about I, when you were talking about that, it made me think, okay, 
Alabama does it. So let's say all the schools in the SEC decide, let's do this and let's cap it at, I don't know, 20 grand a year for a player. Um, okay, you get somebody like, say, uh, T. Higgins. He came to Clemson. Everybody thought he was going to Tennessee because he grew up right outside of Knoxville. Five-star wide receiver. Well, Tennessee, he can you know, sell jerseys with his name on the back of it, and he can advertise for the Cadillac dealership down the street and make money. Would he have ever came to somewhere like Clemson if the ACC didn't do it? No. It changes everything. Everybody, because as college football is, it's an arms race. You know that. And everybody would have to follow suit if they wanted to continue to win and get the best player. They would have to. Anybody didn't have those boosters in position, you know, especially if it's uncapped. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like, for Nick Saban owns a car dealership. He might, he personally can go on and just, I, hey, you're going you're gonna to be my representative. I mean, there's so many things mm-hmm. that have happened that I just don't think it's good for college football. Um, so, so there's got to be, in my mind, a lot of conversation about those things. And then not to mention, especially on the college level, um, whereas in the NFL, some of your highest paid players are the offensive linemen. Coming out of high school, mm-hmm. I doubt the offensive linemen are going to get those big deals. Um, mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden, I'm sitting here blocking with this dude, and, and and I know he's making all this money, and, and I'm not getting anything. I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... It, it, you look at what uh, – think about that. That's a good point, very good point. Um, how great of an athlete is Tyreek Hill? Elite. He's elite, absolutely an elite athlete. But what can an, an elite athlete do without the offensive line? You see that the other night? Yep, nothing. You, you know? Nothing. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're, just, they're just as important. Probably more important. You could probably take an average receiver with an elite offensive line and make him a Pro Bowl receiver, or you could take a Sammy Watkins or DeAndre Hopkins and put him with no offensive line, and you've never heard of the guy. So. I agree with you. I agree with you. So, but hey, I, I definitely thank you for joining us. It was a, a great show, and and, I, and you know, hey, love the input that you was able to put in there. And uh, hopefully we can get you back on. And uh, as always, uh, our, our title sponsor is uh, Nano Air Solutions. Um, they provide uh, MERV 13 air filters, which actually capture the coronavirus and bacteria-sized particles. But then they also have a face mask filter um, that is 88% effective in capturing the virus-sized particles, and it's extremely breathable. So you can go to nanoair.us, that is N-A-N-O-A-I-R.us, and check out their website. Um, Again, we had another great show. We're looking for another great show next week. We will have another great show next week, and uh, we will see you next week. You all have a great night. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Yo, devil, you violated Uh. You about to get dealt with. About to get dealt with.
Come on, 